0: this morning i want to start by telling you about a dysfunctional family in the bible a dysfunctional relationship that took place it's the story of jacob and esau so go ahead and turn your bibles to genesis chapter 25 we're going to take a look and start with jacob and esau as you're turning there let me give you a little bit of background on jacob and esau they they were twins And they were the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Now, if you remember, Isaac was the son of Abraham. And uh, all the way back in the Old Testament here, um, Abraham is who God had promised that God would make his descendants great and make him into a nation. So it was Abraham's descendants who became the nation of Israel and represented um, God in, in the world. And so this is a very important lineage and line uh, of, uh, through history here. And so we come to Jacob and Esau, uh, to the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Now Esau was the older brother. Esau's the older, Jacob's the younger. Esau came out of the womb just, like just ahead In fact, it says that Jacob was actually grasping at the heel of Esau. And so it began this sibling rivalry. So let's pick it up here in Genesis 25, verse 27. And we'll read down through 34. Here we go. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Already there's some lines being uh, drawn and some dividing lines here. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright look i'm about to die esau said what good is a birthright to me but jacob said swear to me first so he swore an oath to him selling his birthright to jacob then jacob gave esau some bread and some lentil stew he ate and drank and then got up and left so esau despised his birthright so Jacob, Jacob was the younger of the brothers and literally just a couple minutes younger from Esau. He missed the birthright by that much. So close. Just missed it. And so he resorts to tricking his brother into getting the birthright. In fact, there, this began a family feud, and if you follow modern-day conflict in the Middle East, you can trace it all the way back to the family feud that began here. There's, there's conflict that took place that continued throughout history. So this is no small conflict here, just a little bit of family dysfunction. So he sells this birthright. Now what is a birthright anyway? The birthright was really significant in ancient times. And what that was, was that the son, the older son, was entitled to an inheritance. Now both sons would have gotten some inheritance, but the son with the birthright would have gotten double the inheritance. So there was definitely a a monetary significance to having the birthright. Now beyond that though, there was actually um, the, the son, the older son with the birthright was entitled to a special blessing from the father. So at the end of their life, the father would give a blessing to their older son and it was literally more of a prophetic pronouncement of God's blessing over them. That God's blessing would go through the bloodline of the older brother and down through, uh, throughout history so there was nothing short of think about that promise that abraham uh, god gave to abraham that god's blessing would be on, on his descendants so the birthright literally contained god's blessing for all of history for all of mankind and that's what esau that's what esau gave up to jacob now that's phenomenal that you would give up something like that right I mean that—that's a big deal to give up God's blessing, and and I—I I think it's crazy. Where it says he came in from the field, and he was famished. Now I don't know if I don't really know what it is to be famished. I don't know if you've ever been famished before. What I know is that when I come in and I smell aromas and smells, I'm like instantly about hundred times more hungry than I was two minutes ago right can you relate to that if I I wish we had like we could just waft some smells through here right now you would all like be instantly thinking about lunch this happens to me every time I walk through the mall and pass Cinnabon does that happen to you like instantly I've got to have one of those so so Esau is having a one of these Cinnabon moments now for him he'd been out in the field he's literally like more on the side of starvation and so he comes in, he smells, he sees that they're cooking, and he says, I'm famished, I need this. I need right now, I've got, I want to have this. And so Jacob says, oh, this is my opportunity. He's going to give up an eternally significant birthright for some, a meal right now. Can you imagine giving up your birthright for a lousy meal? Now, I, <laughs> this is crazy to me. Maybe it's just me, but we're talking about bread and lentil soup here. Now, if it was a filet mignon, it was ribeye, it might be a different story, but we're talking about giving up your birthright for lentil soup. Come on, Esau. You can do a little bit better than that. Can you imagine? Have you ever known somebody that nearsighted? That that all they can see is what's in front of them. They can't see the significance of what they may be giving up. The opportunity cost of what they might be giving up to have what they want right now. We do that all the time, right? In our our finances and different things. We want the immediate. In fact, we live in a culture that, that drives that at us. An immediate gratification kind of culture. There's a commercial on TV and it shows a a grandfather walking with his grandson and he's telling him the story of this coin that's been in the family for generations and generations and this coin it was actually one of their forefathers took it into war with them and it was in the pocket and it took a bullet and it saved his life. And this coin is, has have so much family value, and he's just about to pass it on to his grandson, the next generation, and he looks up and he sees the taco Bell dollar menu. And he goes, "I'm sorry. hold on." And he goes and buys some tacos with it. We do this all the time. We trade the eternally significant for the temporary gratification. This has to be the ultimate dysfunction in a family. That a brother would trick another brother out of his inheritance. But this morning I want to talk with you a few minutes about your inheritance. Did you know you have an amazing inheritance? An incredible incredible spiritual inheritance. Now to have an inheritance there's there's some very foundational conditions that have to be part of this. Number one, you have to be part of the family. That's just the bottom. The, the baseline is to, to be in the bloodline, to be in line for inheritance, you have to be part of the, the family. So look with me in Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17. These few verses describe how we are actually adopted into the family of god this this is incredible to me we're going to unpack this let's read together romans 8 15 through 17 it says the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father or daddy the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory so so first thing here in the, in this verse is that as God's children we are adopted into his family did you know that you have a spiritual family If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have been born again, you've been born into his family. That comes with an incredible inheritance. So we've been adopted. You you have a birthright status through Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into the family. Now adoption, this concept of adoption is huge. Adoption means that we move from no family to, To family. It means that we live at, we move from orphans, living as orphans, to to living with an identity. We we move from a relational poverty to having an inheritance. You see, sin would try to to destroy us, to give us a new identity, to steal away something from us. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to leave you barren in the wilderness by yourself. You've been adopted into my family. I care for you. As I was preparing for uh, this morning, I was doing a little research on adoption, and I discovered that November is actually adoption month. I didn't know that. And last Saturday on the 22nd was National Adoption Day. And there's a, there's a nonprofit organization that, that sponsors National Adoption Day every year, And what they do on that day is they help foster families uh, finalize adopting their, their foster kids. And so last year, uh, around this time, uh, there was 4,500 foster kids whose adoptions were finalized on that day. Isn't that awesome? 4,500 kids who went from no family to being received into a family, to received into love, received into an inheritance. It's pretty awesome. In fact, this, this is really personal to Denise and I because we're foster parents right now. We've been fostering for about three months, and, um, and we haven't been able to have kids. And so at some point, we're praying that God would allow us to adopt one of the foster children that goes through our home. And so, so this concept of, of adoption is, is, is ingrained. It's so, it's so rich with meaning for me that we would move from orphans and aliens to love, acceptance, and inheritance. It's amazing that our whole identity could shift like that. That's the identity that we have in Jesus Christ because we've been adopted. Well, this is actually part of my family heritage as well. My father was adopted, and I have a cousin who was adopted. And this morning, I wanted to share just a little bit um, about my father and let you hear a little of his story. So my my dad's name is Tony Looney. He lives up with my mom in Washington State. So take a look at the video screens and see a little bit of my dad's
1: story. I was adopted when I was a week old. For a long time, I've always said, God has always had his hand on my life. And I can go clear back to then. I was born in Seattle, but I was transported at a week old on Thanksgiving Day, as a matter of fact, to Bickleton, Washington. It was a good life. Um, It wasn't always great because uh, my dad was an alcoholic, but um, I still had a great family, great-grandfather, great-grandmother spent a lot of time at their place. They had a big farm in the Bickleton area and raised cattle and wheat and grew up uh, there till I was five. And then my parents bought a store in Bickleton, which was about eight miles away. And um, So then I ended up growing up in a grocery store. And when I say I grew up in a grocery store, I mean I literally grew up in a grocery store. The house was in the back and the store was in the front. I was an only kid. My mom always said, I didn't have to take what I got, I got to pick out what I wanted. And I knew that from, um, just from um, forever. And I probably heard that from her for like a bazillion times. But I always knew that uh, she picked me out and that um, being adopted meant something special uh, to them and to me. When my grandparents passed away, my mom inherited part of their ranch which included some farmland and some land out in the, what we called out in the timber, where they grazed cattle. And then when my mother passed away, uh, I inherited that. And um, it's, it's just amazing that God took me um, from a family that needed to adopt me out in Seattle to this family out in the middle of nowhere to where I would have this inheritance. And that inheritance now is uh, where we have our Wild West camp. God's provided that piece of property that that we can use for whatever we want. God has blessed me with an awesome wife. Um, We've been together now 43 years. Um, She is just uh, wonderful. I have two kids, Rachel, she she works for a church in San Diego. I have a son, John, who's a four-square pastor in Simi Valley, California. I just know that nothing will separate me from the love of God. I appreciate where he's put me, what he's done with me, everything that he's provided. Um, It's all come from him.
0: Amen. My dad actually, uh, after my grandma passed away, he went and found his real family. Um, he had three brothers and a sister living in Georgia and has been reunited with them. And uh, it's it's incredible uh, to see um, his, my dad's story of adoption. And you heard him say uh, that because he was adopted by a family he received an inheritance. He received this piece of property that they now use for their Wild West Camp, which is a church-wide uh, uh, thing that they do. It's uh, for the kids, and they all go up, and they, it's their youth camps. And they run an incredible youth camp program on our, on our land in Washington. And, um, and it's possible because he had an inheritance that was his because he was adopted into a family. And so, you know, as I think of our adoption, By Jesus Christ, we are part of an incredible, incredible family. That the God of the universe, the King of kings, says that you are his son. You are his daughter. That's an amazing shift in who we are. That's incredible that you're part of God's family, that that he's our father, that we get to call him daddy. Daddy. And if, if we've been adopted as sons and daughters by God, then we're also joint heirs with Christ. And and look at again, look here at Romans um six uh, sorry eight seventeen. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs of God and co heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory. So we need to understand that about this concept of inheritance, that number one, we've been adopted, but that adoption means that we are heirs to the greatest kingdom of all time. We have the greatest inheritance eternity has ever known. It says that we are co-heirs with Christ. That's amazing that we are at that same level of sons and daughters with Jesus Christ. So as God's children we're heirs to his kingdom. You've struck it rich. You have an inheritance. You have a birthright when you're born again into this amazing family. It doesn't matter if you are the firstborn or the lastborn, you have a birthright. Doesn't matter if you come from a crazy family or maybe you are the crazy carl doesn't matter the dysfunction because you're part of a new family a family that's amazing first peter 1 3 through 4 says praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he's given us new birth into a living hope Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into, listen to this, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Heirs to his kingdom. What a great inheritance. Now, here's the thing about this amazing inheritance and truth that we've been adopted and that we're heirs. The craziest thing is that like Esau traded away his birthright, we do the same thing. We take this phenomenal gift that God has grafted us into his family and we trade it away for the instant gratification, for pleasures, for things that look good but have an eternal cost, we trade those things away. That's crazy that we would do that. It's crazy that after all that the Father has done for us to restore our place, to give us family, to bring us in, to bring us close, that we would say, No, I'd rather have what's here. I'd rather have what's over there that looks better. It's incredible an instant gratification culture that we're a part of. What kind of things do we trade our inheritance for? What kind of things do we trade? We need to ask the question, have I traded my inheritance? Wherever you're at in your life right now, in your lifestyle and in what you choose to do with your life, have you traded that inheritance that God has? He says, You're his son. You're his daughter. Have you traded that for something else? I want to uh, finish our time this morning discussing three ways that you can identify if you've traded that inheritance. The first thing is asking yourself, have I traded my identity? So common that we do that. We trade our identity from what Christ would say about us to what the world says about us and in the process we trade away our inheritance I don't know have you seen have you seen the movie 12 years a slave it was uh, it's actually a a pretty graphic depiction of slavery it was the 2013 Oscar award-winning best picture and it tells the story of a, a guy named Solomon Northup his memoir was originally published in 1853 so it's not a new story, but he was, um, he was born, uh, Solomon was born in New York, and he was a carpenter and a violinist. And he was born a free man. He was a free black man in the 1800s. But he was kidnapped and he was sold into slavery. And for 12 years, he was worked, beaten, and even tortured at the hands of plantation masters. His identity was not as a slave. It was as a free man. But his identity was taken and was stolen and he was sold into slavery. Well, his fi- after 12 years, his family was finally able to locate him and to prove his status, his identity as a free man. And he was finally once again declared free. It's an amazing story of somebody whose, whose identity was yanked and was automatically turned in the blink of an eye. Now what's, what's incredible is that it would be horrible to be tricked into that kind of uh, uh, giving up your identity. And what's crazy is that we choose that. We choose to give up our freedom that we have in Christ for the slavery and the sin of this world for the bondage of sin that grips our lives and hides behind pleasure immediate gratification we choose those things they're not we're not ripped away we make that choice to change our identity that's not supposed to be our identity that's not who we are christ says you're free god says you're my son you're my daughter you're free In Galatians 3, verse 26 through 29, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew, nor Gentile, nor slave, nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus." If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. There you are. There's God's blessing again. You're part of the lineage of God's blessing. You are part of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul is telling them it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, a male, a female. It doesn't matter whatever identity this world has put on you because in Christ Jesus, your identity is something different. You're a son and you're a daughter of God Almighty, the King of kings. In Christ Jesus. It's only Him who makes that possible. We're not worthy of that on our own. We can do nothing to earn it. But in Christ Jesus, He declares we are children of God and heirs. That is our identity. Everything about me is different because of that. My life orientation shifts because of that it means that my identity is no longer defined by my stuff my image my physical appearance I'm no longer identified by by my my car my house my boat my toys my talents my abilities those things don't define me they're not my identity my identity is not my friends it's not listen it's not my past failures it's not my fears my insecurities That is not what defines and identifies my life. It is the fact that Jesus Christ has brought me salvation so that in Christ I can be adopted into God's family and be a son and an heir. Amen? What an incredible, incredible truth that our identity is in Him. You see, our identity is no longer defined by me it's defined by him and when when it's defined by him when it's who he says that I am then my identity is now as a son and a daughter My identity is a co-heir with Christ. My identity is that I'm born again. I'm a royal priesthood. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I am God's plan A. I am His love and joy and peace and righteousness to this world. I'm a child of the King. That's who you are. That's your identity. It's not what the world says the world pulls us into all kinds of other identities what's crazy is that we take that identity that amazing identity that God gives us and we trade it away we take on false identities we trade what God says about us for what the world says about us, we, we define ourselves by, by nonsense and we, we take on these other identities we don't want to lose our inheritance to a shift in our identity because we've lost sight of who God says that we are. The second uh, second thing here of uh, uh, really being able to ask yourself, have I traded my inheritance, is to ask, have I traded my values? Have I traded my, my value system? Now that's an, another area that can, can sneak in and we, we can trade our inheritance because we shifted our value system. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, it says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers. None of them will inherit the kingdom of God that's kind of a crazy list of people right there's a lot covered in there and what he's saying is these are people who have exchanged their value system to take on the lifestyle of the world you see a a value is defined as a person's principles or standards of behavior so so how we live displays what we value And so if you live in this, a lifestyle that the world says, this is how you should live. And we trade the value system that we have, which is what God says, this is how you should live. Here are some healthy boundaries and parameters because I love you. This is how you should live. If we trade that value system, we trade our inheritance. These people do not inherit the kingdom of God because they've chosen a lifestyle that's different from what God intended. Well, let me ask you, what do you value? What do you value in your life? I came across a story of a a lady named Karen Pittleman. And I want you to hear a, a little brief article that was written on her It says, though she grew up in an apartment on Manhattan's affluent Upper East Side, Karen Pittleman never knew how wealthy she was until she turned 21 while a senior at Brown University. That's when Pittleman, whose family never discussed money, learned that she had some $3 million in a trust established by her maternal grandfather, Leonard Litwin, 90 years old, a New York developer formerly named by Forbes magazine as one of the 400 wealthiest Americans. I freaked out, said Piddleman, 29. Wouldn't you freak out? I didn't feel like, listen to this, I didn't feel like I could hold on to my values and have this money. Despite her parents' initial reservations, she used all but $15,000 to launch the Chahara Foundation, named for a homeless girl, she once helped as a volunteer in a Dorchester, Massachusetts childcare center. It funds nonprofits that provide low-income women with job resources. Pittleman now works for a Cambridge, Massachusetts-based research generation, which assists wealthy young adults in giving money to combat social problems. I realized I could actually put the money behind values, she says. That was a profound lesson. So here is a lady that she had the opportunity to take $3 million and do whatever she wanted. Buy a house, get a car, do all the fun stuff. Live the American dream. Sometimes the American dream is not such a dream because it takes us selling out our value system so that we value the things that this world values. And so she, she went a different route. She said, I'm going to use this great resource for my value system. And so she began to fund things that would help the world instead of just help herself. See, we, we're faced with a choice we have an incredible we have incredible resource at our disposal. We have this incredible inheritance that we have in God. We also have this thing that's called the American dream, individualism, consumerism, thing the immediate gratification of this world and we can so easily shift our value system from and our focus right onto those things. Do we shift have we traded our value system? Well, this, this is the same warning that Paul gives to these people, to, to the sexual immorality, to the, to the idolaters, to, to adultery and homosexuality and thieves and the greedy, slanderers and swindlers. He's saying, don't trade your inheritance for these lifestyles that lead you to death. Don't trade yourself for, for this sinful lifestyle. You have an inheritance in God, in Christ Jesus. Living that sinful way, it actually requires us to trade God's truth for the values of our culture and society. Truths like that our, our culture would say, get, get all you can. Get as much as you can, as quickly as you can, from whomever you can. So it would say things like, to each their own. Anything goes. Let's let's live for now. Christ is saying, no, don't live for that. Live for the inheritance that's going to last forever, for eternity. You're my son. You're my daughter. Live in your inheritance. It reminds me of Romans 1.25 that says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised don't exchange the truth of god for a lie third thirdly uh, we need to ask ourselves have i traded my purpose have i traded my identity have i traded my values and have i traded my purpose what is my purpose in life if you were to if i were to ask you the question the greatest purpose of my life is blank how would you how would you answer that? Think about that. What would fill in the blank? What would your purpose be? I hope it would be something like the greatest, the greatest purpose of my life is to glorify God. I hope that that would be, would be similar to what you, how you would respond. Because to glorify God means to, to worship, to exalt, to praise, to revere Him. Another way to say that would be to worship God and make disciples. The purpose of my life would be to worship God and make disciples. Now, that's something that we've been talking about for a while, right? Making making disciples. You see, because to glorify God, it it really has two meanings. It's, It's to glorify God to God and it's to glorify God by glorifying Him with others. See, does... Does it mean that we should all become monks and go live in a monastery? That we need to the purpose of our life is to glorify God? Well, no, it doesn't. It means that right here, where God has placed me, where, where God has adopted me and, and and called me to live for Him, in His presence, in, in His inheritance, right here, that's the purpose that God has for my life: to live that out and to glorify Him in that place. That means I can glorify God at my work. I can glorify him in my home. I can glorify him in how I in how I study. In in the way that I the way that the world sees me play can glorify God. That every area of my life would bring glory to him. How I work out, how I talk to my friends, how I eat Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> how I eat, how I everything that I do would be about somehow bringing Him glory, bringing Him honor, bringing the focus back to Him instead of on me. There's nothing greater than God. So to put anything else before Him would be sin. It would be to diminish and have a deficient view of who God should be in my life. In my life, He should be number one. He should be the thing that I glorify over all other things. And have I traded that? Have I traded the purpose of my life in glorifying Him? See, we get our priorities all mixed up. We stop asking the question, how will this glorify God? And we start thinking, how will this glorify me? Have you ever done that? That's an easy shift. And we, though we don't say it sometimes, we think it. How will this glorify me? How will this benefit me? Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you say, I no longer live? That's a crazy thing to say. I have put myself to death. I no longer live. That old lifestyle, that old person, I no longer live because I've been adopted and given a new identity. I'm in a new family. My purpose has changed. See, we glorify God in our relationship with Him. We glorify Him to Him. I love that. We glorify God to God. In fact, we, we celebrate communion here as a church. And communion is this great symbol that Jesus left us to remember what he did on the cross for us. But it, the meaning of communion goes so so deep. It's so rich. We are, we are literally partaking of symbols of Jesus' body and his blood. He's saying, I want you to remember in the fellowship, in the, in the communion that you receive There's a a joining with him that he wants to be honored by us remembering what he did for us. Communion with God. Communion with Jesus. Not just remembrance, not just celebration, but communion, fellowship with him. That there's relationship that's restored and takes place. So we glorify God to God. But we also glorify God to other people. As Christ's ambassadors on earth, we represent Him. We represent His presence to other people. So we glorify God by exalting Him in our lives to other people. This verse is, should be familiar to you by now, but Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20 to go out into this world to glorify God by making disciples, by exalting Him so that other people would know who He is. They would would understand that they too have been called sons and daughters and have an inheritance from God. We're partners and co-heirs with Christ. Remember that? From Romans chapter 8, verse 17, we read that. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're partners with Christ. We're partners with the mission that he came here for. He commissioned us when he he went back to heaven. He he told us, continue this. You're my partners. And we're co-heirs with him to this incredible inheritance. We've been adopted into this new family family. We have a new purpose. That means that we'll experience suffering, but we also get to taste a glimpse of that glory here, because that mission is actually part of our inheritance. We get to experience that glory as well. So we don't do mission. Uh, or we don't. We don't do mission to earn our inheritance. We've been given an inheritance. And therefore, we do mission. Sometimes we think of that a little backwards. We've been given this incredible inheritance, and so it ought to change the purpose of our lives to be about God's mission. And that mission is actually part of our inheritance. This morning, I hope that you can grasp the gravity, the, the amazing concept That God has called you one of his own. That you're a son and you're a daughter. That you have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. That you no longer have to live uh, under the identity of this world. You can live under the identity of who God says that you are. You don't have to trade your inheritance. Would you join me by just closing your eyes as we conclude this morning Maybe some of us here this morning have traded that inheritance. And even though we go to church, even though we know about Jesus, if we're really honest with ourselves, we would know and we'd say that my identity has been found in something other than God. That my values have not been Christ's values that the purpose of my life has not been to glorify God in every part of my life, that it's been about something else. It's been about me. And this morning, God is saying to us, my son, my daughter, I have an inheritance for you. It's waiting for you. Don't trade your birthright Don't trade it for the lie the world would would try to tell you. Stand firm, engage me, represent me. Jesus, I I thank you that we have been made co-heirs with you. That although we mess up and we don't deserve it, Lord, you offer us an incredible inheritance. I pray that we would glorify you all of who you are with all of who we are so that all of humanity would know your glory. Lord, we thank you for this rich, rich inheritance.